Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, it's my mom. Mama. And Glenn Leverins. This is Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Wednesday, February 21st, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to a brand new hour of Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Peter Damien. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverance and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for making us a part of your morning across America and beyond, wherever you may be on this Wednesday in the first week of Lent here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Today is the memorial of the Benedictine monk St. Peter Damien, bishop and doctor of the church. He rose from the life of a fervent monk to the abbot of his order, and he encouraged a strict rule of life for the monks. St. Peter Damien was later made a cardinal, and finally he was named a doctor of the church. Now, if you haven't signed up for Father Rocky's Lenten Lessons on the Mass, these free daily videos, it is still not too late. You can do it this morning at relevantradio.com slash Lent. So get ready to learn the Mass live the Mass and love the Mass more than ever before. You can transform your 40 days with 40 lessons and with Father Rocky's weekly Eucharistic encounters here at relevantradio.com slash Lent. want to bring in Glenn and Sarah once again. What are a few of the big uh, stories making headlines this hour on this uh, Wednesday morning, Glenn? Next up in the Republican presidential race, John, is the South Carolina primary on this Saturday. Nikki Haley trailing former President Trump uh, by a wide margin in the polls, but she is not yet ready to give up. She gave a speech yesterday, some thinking she might uh, throw in the towel, but that not the case at all. I'm not going anywhere. People have a right to have their voices heard. And they deserve a real choice, not a Soviet-style election where there's only one candidate and he gets 99% of the vote. We don't anoint kings in this country. Yeah, Glenn, there was a lot of uh, speculation uh, in the media that she might make an announcement, but uh, everybody was paying attention to what she had to say, and obviously she is not throwing in the towel. No, Trump supporters getting very impatient, but it is only the fourth state contest so far. It, kind of early, actually, to to weed it down to just uh, just one candidate, uh, but uh, uh, Trump with a pretty big lead. So uh, we'll see how it goes. And uh, I know you've been watching some of the things the president, former presidents, had to say as well. Yeah, I caught a little bit of uh, the uh, town hall last night on Fox, and uh, former President uh, Trump told Laura Ingram that Haley just can't get herself to get out. She's down by 30, 35 points, and everybody knows her. You're not supposed to lose your home state. Shouldn't happen anyway, and she's losing it. Why do you think she's staying in the race? Um, I don't think she knows how to get out, actually. Uh, I really don't. She did terribly in New Hampshire. She got mo- the only vote she, she got was from Democrats. she has a lot of Democrats. money behind her. What do they think they're going Well, they're out? trying to hurt me because of the general election. So the Democrats are giving her money, and she's playing into the game. And I think she just can't get, she just can't get herself to get out. Glenn, the actual numbers, uh, it's still a commanding lead, is 63-35% lead over Nikki Haley. 
for uh, Trump. And that's according to a Suffolk University USA Today a survey that was released uh, yesterday. So she's got a huge, huge uphill battle uh, to go with just uh, three days left before South Carolina. Uh, a little bit of news that came out of uh, that town hall. Uh, Trump once again basically said he wants to d- debate uh, President Biden. He, he said he's ready to do it right now. In fact, he was ready to do it right on her show. Uh, uh, that's what he's uh, told Laura Ingram. You know, and I honestly think uh, President Biden's advisors would probably advise against that for the president uh, in the, the current environment. Uh, although, you know, he seems to be a bit strong-willed and uh, would maybe want to do that anyway. But I wouldn't lay money on that. And actually, I think we'll get more clarity, too, on the Republican side probably in the next 10 days. Haley saying she wants to stay in at least through Super Tuesday, where many states are in play. And that comes up on March 5th, about a week and a half from now. And uh, it doesn't seem to be a a way uh, for Nikki Haley uh, to win the nomination, but she is uh, persevering nevertheless. Uh, Meanwhile, uh, the Jackson County prosecutor announced uh, two adults in the Super Bowl uh, parade shooting have been charged with murder, Glenn. This is just a a follow-up to just a horrible story that we talked about last week. Yeah, one woman killed there and uh, 22 injured altogether in that uh, shooting uh, transpired between uh, two opposing groups. And so two adults charged, two juveniles charged as well with uh, some gun-related uh, offenses as, as part of that. So uh, justice is uh, is moving slowly there. Yeah, that one woman uh, was a, a beloved uh, DJ in Kansas City, uh, a, a Catholic mom of two, and uh, just a horrible, horrible tra- tragedy. Uh, Jean uh, Peters-Baker, the Jackson County prosecutor, uh, spoke to reporters uh, yesterday during a briefing. We seek to hold every shooter accountable for their actions on that day. Every single one. So while we're not there yet on every single individual, we're going to get there. Just uh, so unbelievable, uh, as we have talked about. You know, you, you never expect something like that to, to happen uh, at a Super Bowl uh, a rally parade celebration. It had never in the history of the Super Bowl had anything like this ever happened. No, in large gatherings in our, uh, you know, current day and age where so much time is spent with our noses and our phones seem to be still a a big attraction in terms of uh, good turnout for concerts and things have kind of come back after after COVID. And, uh, you know, you'd hope uh, incidents like this uh, don't deter people from getting together in large groups. All right. On a a much lighter note, uh, today is International Mother Language Day, uh, which is celebrated on February 21st. It's a day in which we uh, celebrate the many, many languages, 7,000 plus languages out there, guys. Ohio gozaimus, guys. (laughs) Gesundheit. (laughs) (laughs) That's what it sounds like. But if you are in Japan, that's good morning. You know, I think uh, we know something. I did a little little, little research. I don't do too much, but I do the bare minimum. That's how I squeak by in uh, college. And um, konnichiwa is kind of a you know a sound that we're used. I feel like I've heard that before as a hello if you're in Japan. But uh, yeah, there's other ways to say things, not just hello. I, we earlier we talked about when you're in Hawaii, aloha means many things. But um, there's actually if you kind of like how we say good morning or just hello, and we can you know you could say buenos dias or just you know can make the shortened version of these things. There's a longer, the shorter. For aloha, for saying hello and good morning in um, Hawaii, you can say aloha kakahi aka, 
Or you could just say uh, the kakahiaka. So um, you can say just the one or you can say them together. So that's interesting as well. I think I'll just uh, say aloha. There you go. That is That does seem like that's shorter. I don't know why the kakiaka is the short, supposed to be the shorter version. But, uh, you know, I didn't make the language. I'm just reporting what I have uh, gathered in the short period of time that I had to study for this test. I was always fascinated <laughs> by my hero, uh, Pope uh, St. John Paul II, uh, who spoke, I think, 11 or 12 languages. I mean, he was absolutely amazing. So, you know, b- back in the day, I actually uh, learned how to say good morning in a, a variety of different languages. Uh, of course, my, you know, my other language, Espanol, Spanish, muy, muy buenos dias. Yes, that's very, actually, we had um, a caller, Jose, he called in and he said that if to find out what your mother nature is, mother language, sorry, your mother language is, is is what is the the language that you usually use when you're praying that is very interesting um yeah you know it all depends sometimes i pray in english and sometimes i pray in spanish so you might say i have a split you prayer are, uh, personality you have a bi language uh, bilingual prayer language there you I, go. I think I actually, I feel in Spanish. I have that Latino spirit in me, and I I feel in Spanish, but I think like an Anglo in English. Now, what do you think, Glenn? Because I see he uses a lot of um, hand gestures when he's talking and praying and all of this, and Ashley just said that Italians do that, so maybe he's trilingual, he just doesn't know it. (laughs) Per favore. (laughs) Hats off today, though, for someone on the show here who's truly bilingual in terms of John, and we know that the little Juanito started out... Uh, as a Spanish speaker, and you had to pick up the English along the way. So uh, our admiration for you, John, being able to handle both of those languages well. I did. Uh, I spoke mostly Spanish up until uh, kindergarten, so up until age five. Uh, And I'm very grateful to my parents who taught me Spanish because if I had not learned Spanish, I probably wouldn't be sitting in this chair this morning because it was actually Spanish that opened the door to broadcasting the TV and radio early in my career because I started out in Spanish and then switched over into English. And the joke has always been, I'm still working on my English. Yeah, that's funny. Actually, I thought the reason you were in that chair is because it says John Morales on it. But you're right. It probably has something to do with it. You're in, walking into that. And, yeah, and that John, you've had some interesting Spanish broadcasting experience, including relevant radio and, and Espanol. And before that, a little bit with the Chicago Bulls. I did. I did. I did the Bulls games in Spanish back uh, during uh, the heyday of Michael Jordan and the Bulls during uh, their three-peat uh, uh, days. The first three-peat because they had two of them. Um, yeah, so, you know, I'm very thankful to Espanol. Uh, si, señor. Michael Jordan con la clavada. <laughs> Very nice. Actually, I learned uh, all of the all of the sports lingo in Spanish uh, in my early years, and so uh, you know, every once in a while, I'll, I'll bring out a few uh, few terms. Well, you know, there's lots of different reasons that people learn a language. I know a lot of people learn uh, certain languages because it's like the love language, including French. Which, Glenn, I, that's I know you know some French. So is that why you wanted to get into that? Because you know you could pick up the girls, or what, what, well, what? you know <laughs> that'd be a great story. But the real story is I was looking at college as a very vocational experience. I knew from very young on I wanted to do radio, and so okay, we'll do the college route, and we'll you know take the things we have to do academically, but we'll spend as much time as possible at the college radio station and part time at real stations and all that business. But uh, so had to pick a language and at the time I'm doing hockey announcing and I thought well you know there's a lot of French Canadian hockey players with the names that are very French and I thought if I took French th- uh, that would help me better pronounce the French Canadian hockey players names so that was my <laughs> my sole reason for choosing French 
I love it. You know, I remember back uh, in the old uh, Jerry Park days of the Montreal Expos, and the announcer would say, now betting for the Montreal Expos, the catcher, John <laughs> Boccabella. There you go. Hey, so it comes in handy, not just um, for, you know, you know, ro being romantic, but in sports as well. Hey, so languages are good to know. And if you're ready to learn one, there's plenty of places out there. Today's a good day to start. And spring training is underway. So I'll leave you with, se va, se va, se va. Adios, pelota. Honron. There you go. All right. Okay, guys, <laughs> too much fun here. Uh, uh, Father Marcel Tayon is standing by, and uh, he speaks French, so we're going to have to uh, uh, chat about, a little bit about it with him as well. Uh, as always, uh, we always start every hour in prayer, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings and always praying through the intercession of the Mother of God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the unborn and of relevant radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of relevant radio and my hero, pray for us. And we always invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning here on the show when we pray, come Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hey, and don't forget about St. Joseph. On Wednesdays, I always uh, remind you uh, to pray to St. Joseph. He is a powerful intercessor. So go to Joseph, the head of the Holy Family. As we do every morning, our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from Jeremiah 29, 13. You shall seek me and shall find me when you shall seek me with all your heart. During this Lenten season, this verse is a reminder that the Lord wants us to seek Him with all of our heart. The Lord wants our heart to be transformed and to become more like His heart, the sacred heart of Jesus. During these 40 days of Lent, open your heart and search fervently for Jesus the Lord, and then you will find Him in your heart and find that peace that surpasses all understanding. And we always pray with great confidence that prayer that Drew and Maggie pray every afternoon during the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. Jesus, I trust in you. As always, you can send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. I, I love uh, uh, hearing from uh, all of you uh, when you get a moment and uh, send us uh, your thoughts or any anything that might be on your mind. We need to take a short break. When uh, we continue, our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tayon, will be with us to talk about military chaplains who served the ones who served in uh, some accounts from two world wars. So stay with us. There is uh, much more to come on this Wednesday edition of Morning Ear here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Looking at life from a Catholic worldview, this is Morning Air. And welcome back to Morning Air on the Memorial of St. Peter Damien. I'm John Morales along with 
Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Our toll-free line, if you want to be part of the program, is 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. That's 888-914-9149. And I'm sure you recognize that uh, familiar tune. That's the Marine Corps hymn and sets the stage for talking about uh, two world wars here this morning. You, you probably have seen the iconic photo of U.S. Marines raising the American flag on Iwo Jima in World War II. But very few people ever talk about the chaplain who actually celebrated a Catholic Mass in the shadow of that historic event. Joining us live uh, this morning is our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tayon, uh, to talk about the military chaplains that served the ones who served at two world wars and also to share some tales of heroism self-giving and compassion father tyone is the new director of vocations of the archdiocese for the military services he has served for over a decade in vocation ministry for the our lady of providence seminary while chaplain at bishop hendrick in high school and of course a longtime relevant radio and morning air contributor bonjour good morning father tyone thanks so much for being with us it's a joy to be with you once again well, bonjour. I'm calling this morning. I'm doing the show from uh, the Bayou in Deep Louisiana with a mission group. So yesterday I spoke French with some Cajun people all day out in their fields, uh, cleaning their houses. So it's been like French land down here, and we're in the Diocese of Lafayette with the Jesus Crucified Community. So uh, talking about um, mother languages and things is very relevant to me this week, and we're grateful for uh, for all the good people down here and the, and the good Catholics that we found here. So. Great to be with you, and bonjour tout le monde. Absolutely. And uh, um, uh, Father, is is the uh, French that's spoken down there in the, the Ragin' Cajun land uh, different than what you'd uh, uh, hear in, uh, in the, like in, in Canada, in Montreal? No, it is, right? The Acadians left when the, uh, when the English took over the province. They left to not lose their faith. They came all the way down to Louisiana, purchased land, and down here and settled this place. But the French is very, very different. Of course, it's a rural community. So it's sort of a farming, uh, poor community, but full of faith and good people. But yeah, the French is very different. It's kind of got a, a Creole twist and uh, and a Southern drawl all mixed in with the old vocabulary of the French that came a long time ago. So the, the vocabulary is kind of formal, but it's a, it's kind of a, a, I don't mean negatively, like a slang, like a very familial thing. So it is, you got to pay attention, but but it's awesome. It's just been a great, uh, a great surprise of the week for me. Very good. Well, uh, very appropriate because today is International Mother Language Day. We've been having a little fun uh, throwing out uh, a few uh, words here and there. Um, Father, I wanted to talk about these military chaplains that served uh, uh, during the World wars. Uh, how special is it for you now in your new uh, role uh, as a director of vocations for the Archdiocese of the Military Services to, to be remembering and recognizing th- these great chaplains uh, of the past? So one of the great things about this new ministry that's happened for me is that many, many people have reached out. First of all, veterans have been reaching out, but everybody wants to tell me their story of how their Catholic chaplains and the military help them and including all ages, some all kinds of ages of soldiers from all different branches. So it's been kind of amazing to hear uh, really maybe the unreported and unseen 
heroic difference that, that Catholic priests have made throughout our military history. And many, many veterans say, we'll tell you stories. I've heard them all, emails and phone calls, even my, my local parish. Um, people are really coming forth and sharing, like really in combat situations. Um, obviously, the sacrament the confession for a soldier that's on duty in combat or out is, is a big really special grace and without priest there's no eucharist and no confession so that's that's the whole mission if you will one of the main missions of the vocation office of the archdiocese is to make sure that our soldiers and men and women in uniform have jesus christ available to them in the sacraments and it's been great to get to know the history of some of these amazing priests of course we have father capidano father emil and these great um incredible people up for canonization but also besides them is these rank and file military chaplains that have done heroic things that are that are legendary truths that that soldiers and Catholics pass on to each other, which I'm learning more and more about, which has been just fascinating that to find priests, you know, soldiers, I think they have to die to themselves. They leave country, family, uh, friends, environment. Uh, they, they really die to self to serve our nation. And now these priests are dying to themselves to serve them who serve us. So that's, that's what we're talking about this morning. We, 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 priest God, we, we, we need priests to celebrate meet Christ in the sacraments, but these priests are a particular particular brand, a particular type. Um, they're just uh, amazing. We're meeting a lot of them and they're, uh, they're just uh, amazing men that, that give of themselves and they're all different. Every branch is different, every circumstance is different, but obviously when someone gets deployed, even now we have many, many military soldiers deployed to the Middle East and, and many of them, thank God, have chaplains with them where they can have mass and be reminded everything is okay that Christ is with them, right? So that's what the priest does. The priest is a, he's, he's a, an icon that Christ is with them. And soldiers need that. We all need that in life, but soldiers have a particular need. And uh, it's been it's been extraordinary to read some of the accounts, especially in, in kind of what we call the Great Wars, right? World War II and, and all these great things. And you brought up at the top of the hour that famous scene of Iwo Jima. We all know the Marines putting putting the flag, you know, up up on that hill, and uh, it's 1945, the bloodiest battle in the Pacific. And, uh, you know, one of the priests said that, you know, as, as you can imagine, imagine you're about to go into war and you, you just want to confess, right? So many devout Catholics want to, there was, a, there was a, the chaplain says there was a rush on the sacraments uh, right before uh, the battle began, as would as we would expect. Thank God there is that, literally, thank you, Lord. And, uh, and this particular priest, Father Charles Suver, was a 39-year-old Jesuit priest who was one of 60 chaplains accompanying the Marines invading Iwo Jima and working offshore. Um, and it's amazing because this this uh, father, uh, you know, he he told us they they kind of rushed everything. They find this was a turning point in the war, obviously. And uh, and he um, the chaplain, Father Charles Silver, said, "Well, if you if you get the flag up there, I'm going to say mass under it." And several days on the beach, uh, that came true. So he. You know, it's amazing that, you know, several days after that, remember the Marines lost 30 percent uh, of the Marines were casualties uh, during that particular battle. That's that's a lot. And it's amazingly sacrificial and loving. And and the priest um, did. He did celebrate mass uh, on a on a plywood. There's great pictures of it. You can research that. And he, he offered mass just near that flag that we always think of. And so many people value that image. That's an image of our, our Marines and our and all our soldiers that are so heroic, especially in times of war, but there was a, the Eucharist was there, right? So there was a mass uh, just near that place. You picture, put that image back in your mind and have, have the priest in fatigue vestments celebrating mass and giving the Eucharist to these soldiers in this, I'm sure the, the, the worst, the days of their life, most challenging days in Christ came to them. So that's, 
that's what our military chaplains do. And I think if we look back at history, we can be inspired even today uh, at, at their service and the service of, of all our Marines and our soldiers. want to open up our phone lines if you want to be part of our conversation with our spiritual director, Father Marcel Tyone, on some of these heroic acts of chaplains who served our country. If you have any stories of family members who also served, we'd love to, to hear from you. We're taking your calls for Father Tyone at 888 Four, nine. Just about, you know, most of us are, you know, very familiar with that uh, iconic image of uh, the uh, Marines at Iwo Jima raising the American flag. But very few have seen uh, Marines on their knees receiving the Holy Eucharist uh, from a chaplain. And I'm actually looking at a photo like that. It's just it's just incredible to think of, uh, you know, our Lord there uh, uh, in the midst of, uh, of, of these men and, and women, uh, these heroic men and women and it reminds me of, uh, you know, uh, his words, no greater love than to give your life up uh, for a friend. Amen. So these, it is, it's a powerful image, right? The Marines are, are kneeling, they're kneeling against debris and, uh, you know, obviously real, a real war zone and they're kneeling down and it's very, very moving. They're praying and, um, you know, imagine you're right. No, no greater love laid down one's life. And that's what Christ does for them in the Eucharist on that mountain. And it's, it's extraordinary thing really where, where the greatest evil is the Lord comes in and gives the greatest good gives himself and uh, praise God a lot of our soldiers and their families have faith and they want Jesus they need Jesus and Jesus wants to be with them and again that that's what the military chaplain does he brings Christ to them uh, and really even so many people tell me about the morale of uh, you know the battalions and groups that they're with even today like in, in modern day uh, the chaplain serves a great purpose and it's kind of a, a stabling presence of encouragement of Bill's morale and and really just his presence is a sign that the Lord is with them and that they're not alone. And they have each other, they have the brothers, but but they also have a father. And, and that's what we're looking for. We're looking for fathers to our soldiers and their families. Uh, Father Tyone, can you share a story or two of, of tough situations in which uh, chaplains did everything that they could uh, to not only save souls, but to, to save lives, even at the cost of their very own lives? Yeah, so there's a great story about uh, a priest named, uh, you know, Father Aloysius Schmidt, um, and he uh, was on a on a ship that got hit uh, during the Japanese attack of Pearl Harbor, and uh, this ship was uh, it's called the USS Oklahoma, and it got hit very badly and was sinking, and this priest just kept passing uh, soldiers through the porthole to get them out to safety so they wouldn't drown, and he ended up drowning because he put everybody else out the window. And I, I think that's one of the one of the inspiring stories of, again, heroic chaplains willing to put others before themselves. And he literally gave his life so soldiers could live. And I'm sure some of the soldiers went home, raised a family, went back to life. And I'm sure they never forgot him uh, or that obviously they didn't because that's how we know the story. Uh, they, they told of his heroic charity of literally uh, he drowned and, and got others out of there. So that, that's an amazing thing. I think, uh, you know, it's just... In, in times of war and evil, there's so much science of heroism and sacrifice uh, in the greatest places of trial in all of our lives. That's where the greatest graces can be seen. And I think Father Aloysius uh, Schmidt can reveal that to us. So it, it's just amazing. And there's another story about Father Francis Keenan. Um, he was uh, you know, under fire by German aircraft. He was burying a soldier on the beach during the invasion of Sicily. And uh, his own arms and legs were hit by bullets. And he's he's all the soldiers, the only take cover, take cover. And he, he was burying a soldier on the beach and he kept burying the soldier with his own injuries until, and then said that the Catholic prayers over the body 
Then he went and took shelter. That inspired the soldiers that he was literally in harm's way and he, he wouldn't uh, get out of the way until until the soldier was buried and he had said the prayers and those kind of things. I and mean, I'm sure there's, there's countless others we don't know, but a, a lot of these chaplains can, I think, inspire us even in our daily life um, out in the population, but also inspire us to pray for vocations for the military, you know, and encourage everybody listening to you. Sometimes I, I think people need to learn more about uh, the military chaplaincies and how they work. We all benefit from their service. The whole country benefits. And uh, it's great. The military this week launched a new website. It's millarch.org. And it explains more beautifully the heroicism of the, uh, just gives a great catechesis on what's going on in the archdiocese. So I encourage people to look at that and, uh, and pray for our soldiers, pray for our chaplains, pray for the families of our military who sacrifice out of sight every day of their lives so that we can practice our religious freedom as Catholics and others. And we're so grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunity to share some of these stories that uh, will inspire us. Hopefully we all pray for all vocations everywhere, but especially for our military. Uh, Father, real quick, uh, one last story, which uh, I find fascinating. Uh, it, it actually inspired the uh, 1998 uh, film uh, Saving a Private Ryan, uh, the D-Day invasion and the chaplain in that story. Yeah, that's Father Francis Sampson. He's a 32-year-old chaplain. He parachuted onto Normandy for the invasion, and he stayed in the farmhouse. Some of the soldiers had gotten hurt, and they were so hurt they couldn't get out of the farmhouse. So he offered to stay with them to tend to them so they wouldn't be alone. And he did back, and he was tending to them and running outside, waving the white flag so the Germans wouldn't hurt the structure. And then in the end, this went back and forth. And finally, he heard a shot, and uh, Father Sampson uh, went outside, and the German soldier had shot the shot up in the ear, and he wanted to see the priest. And he shared with the priest his Catholic medal, a picture of his baby, and uh, it was sort of like he he ministered to the German soldier, and uh, and it ended up that you know it's amazing. But what happened, you know, that incident inspired Saving Private Ryan, a 1998 film that I think we've all seen and remember. It's one of those films that's sort of grafted into your mind if you see it, and especially again military. But I think uh, you know, that's an amazing story too, and and his his witness. So. Just amazing, amazing stories. Father, I want to squeeze in a, a, a call. Um, Melissa's joining us from Hammond, Indiana. Good morning. Welcome to the show. You're on with Father Tyone. Good morning. I just wanted to tell you, when I heard this story, um, my brother, for years, threw a get-together for the, all of the Iwo Jima vets, all the Marines, um, and because he is a Marine, and he talked about all the stories they told and the camaraderie they had up until, you know, right when there was nobody to get together anymore. And they all said one thing that if they hadn't had a belief in God, if their belief wasn't so strong, there was no way they could have got through that battle. Amen. And first of all, thank you, brother. We thank him for his service and your family too, the whole family sacrifice. When someone serves, everybody sacrifices something, right? So, and you're right, the the faith, Um, you know, we have that, it's like kind of a silly saying, you know, that, you know, nobody doesn't have faith in a foxhole, but in a foxhole, your faith is all you have. So I think that's a better way to say that, that sort of nuance, little thing to say, but, but I, I appreciate you calling because um, you, you witness to the, the camaraderie, the sacrifice, but also faith. I mean, uh, these men and women pray together, and many of them are faithful. Thanks be to God. So we owe them uh, our respect to pray for them. So thanks for your call to encourage everybody to listen to pray for our military, our soldiers, and their families, and uh, and all those who have served and and lived a life of great sacrifice, maybe mentally or 
physically, economically, so many other parts of it come in where they, they died itself for our nation and our country, and especially our God. So we, we thank Jesus and ask Jesus to raise up more priests to be with these, these folks in, in a very precarious place, but a place that, uh, that God has called them to serve. Thanks so much, uh, Melissa. Uh, Father Tyron, we're going to have to leave it right there. I really appreciate uh, your, your perspective. Uh, as always, thanks so much for being with us. God bless. Father Marcel Tyone, the Director of Vocations of the Archdiocese for Military Services and a long time relevant radio and morning air contributor. We need to take a short break. Uh, when uh, we come back on the other side, our personal success coach, Dave Duran, the CEO of Leading Giants and the co-founder and executive chairman of Best Version Media, will join us to discuss why people believe bad ideas. So stay with us. We're headed down the stretch on this Wednesday edition of Morning Air here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio. You have. Wake up, America. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us on this Wednesday morning in the first week of Lent here on Relevant Radio and the new and improved Relevant Radio app. You can send us an email directly if you have anything on your mind, any thoughts or story ideas. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. Now, have you ever wondered why... Do uh, people sometimes believe in bad ideas? I mean, I'm talking about really bad ideas. It doesn't take much to realize that something is a bad idea, but it might take a while to understand the root of that bad idea. Joining us live from Fort Myers, Florida, is our longtime Morning Air contributor and personal success coach, Dave Duran, to share six traps to avoid or six reasons why people actually believe in bad ideas. Dave Duran is the CEO of of Leading Giants and executive chairman of Best Version Media. He's also the host of the Dave Duran Show here on Relevant Radio Saturdays at 1 p.m. Central. You can follow Dave on YouTube and LinkedIn. Good morning, Dave. Uh, thanks so much uh, for joining us once again. It's, it's great to be with you. Hey, John. Great to be with you. Dave, they say that ideas are a dime a dozen. Uh, it's an old saying I heard years ago, but uh, bad ideas seem to be all over the place. What type of ideas are, are we going to uh, chat about here this morning? Well, there really could be anything. You know, you look at these big macro ideas that people say, how did everybody believe that? For communism, for example, you know, something that's never worked ever at any time suppresses people. Yet there are people in free countries who say, hey, this is a really good idea. Let's do that. How could they possibly do that? Well, it's not that different than how a person will go into a marketing meeting and, uh, you know, believe in or promote a bad idea when other good ideas are there. And it's also really not that different than why people make decisions to be in bad relationships uh, and whatnot, too. And that first thing is bias. And what that bias is could be different. It could be You know what? I've never really been able to accomplish a lot of things. I'm jealous of the people who can accomplish things. The idea of everybody being equal and getting the same stuff, that sounds good to me. So that's a bias. And it comes from a certain place that's not good. Or somebody goes to the meeting and um, they happen to like the person who has the bad idea and not like the person who has a good idea. So their bias gets them to believe into the bad idea. And it's not necessarily that people always believe these things, but they will act upon them or promote them. 
uh, in a relationship. It could be, well, I've had a bad relationship here, so I want to go to this sort of relationship which I think is better, even though it's not better, it's a bad idea, but it's just that they're afraid of something in the past. So there's a certain bias that takes place. You see this in politics quite often, where somebody goes, you know what, that doesn't seem right, but since that person's on my side of the aisle, I'm going to support it just because I don't like the other side, and a bias controls things. It seems like uh, bias is everywhere. I mean, it's you, you, you don't even know where to go these days. For example, in terms of looking at news, you don't know, uh, you know what networks to actually trust. Yeah, and in some ways, it is simple to get past bias. In other ways, it's a little complex. The simple way to get past bias is humility. Like, if you're an, if you're an informed, understanding uh, person with enough intellect and decision-making ability to recognize a bad idea, but you believe in it anyway, and people do that. Like literally what I just described actually happens. It's because of pride. Pride gets in the way. It makes us stupid. It reduces our humility, and humility is precision truth about ourselves and circumstances, particularly in the eyes of God, because we can't escape that. We can't justify it in any way. Uh, and, and so we have to be careful that if we're going to not be biased and bad ideas, we have to have a certain level of humility, which is going to, it's going to get us there. All right. I know this is something that uh, you've thought about. Uh, uh, give us another uh, reason why people believe in these bad ideas. Well, this would be ignorance. And this stands outside a little bit of humility and pride. It's not that they're pridefully making a bad decision, buying a bad idea, um, nor is it that they're not smart or not intellectual, but they're ignorant. And ignorance can apply to anyone of any intellect. It's that you lack a certain amount of understanding, experience, or knowledge about something. So you just happen to be ignorant of the circumstance. And so you need to understand the circumstance better so you have a certain knowledge or experience about it in order to make the decision. So ignorance is, is a real thing. And there are people who play upon ignorant people that don't know any better in order to manipulate them into bad ideas or bad decisions. I mean, this can happen in medicine, it can happen in sales, where the person who is the particular expert says, well, I obviously have an expertise above this other person, they're ignorant of the circumstance, so I'm going to give them a bad idea to get them to buy into it, or to literally buy it and exchange money for that service. And so it's important for us to not only reduce our bias by having humility, but for us to say, hey, I'm, I'm about to engage into something where I need to embrace an idea here. I should learn a little bit more about it so that I don't make an ignorant decision or I don't, I don't perpetuate a bad idea that others started because I was ignorant of the circumstance. And by the way, I don't know if there's a person on planet Earth who can't go back in time and say, wow, I can't believe I believed that old thing now that I have greater knowledge and understanding, I'm not as ignorant of the circumstance, I can see why there was an error of the way. That is so, so true, especially when you look back. Uh, hindsight is twenty twenty. I want to invite our listeners and open up the phone lines. Uh, if you want to share your own experience of believing in bad ideas, you thought they were true at the time, but then you found out they weren't. Uh, you Maybe you might want to share why you hung on to uh, bad ideas. We'd love to hear from you. We're taking your calls for the CEO of Leading Giants and personal success coach Dave Duran at Triple. 914 9149 888-914-9149. Uh, Dave, let's uh, talk about uh, yet another reason, a third reason uh, why people believe in bad ideas. Well, the third reason that people believe bad ideas is because of shortcuts to desired outcomes. So it could be that there is some bias and ignorance related to this, but 
you know, more or less, you might have a person who's uh, generally humble um, and not so ignorant. Uh, but let's say they, they, they feel desperate in a circumstance to make money fast. And their intellect says, this is a bad idea. And they're humble enough to recognize it's probably a bad idea. Now, there's a certain element of pride that can still influence this, which is that my pride to have the outcome is so great that I won't humble myself to go through the path that is necessary to get there. But that's kind of a separate topic. So they take a shortcut to the desired outcome and they make an investment they know is a bad investment or they hire a person they know is not the right person because they have a desired outcome they want to get. So they're taking shortcuts and people do this sort of thing. They can even do it with their physical health where they they take shortcuts in their health in order to get to a particular desired outcome. And it, it really is, it's a, well, frankly speaking, it's a bad idea. And uh, what about a, yet another idea, a fourth reason why people believe in these bad ideas? The fourth reason is because of spiritual blindness. And there is a reality here that when you look, now anybody can be deceived, but when you look at people that are by and large deceived by really big bad ideas, they are more often than not, but not exclusively, not in touch with Christ. That's an actual reality there. Like, the truth will set us free. A lie will not. Well, if Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and we understand that, and we get to know him better, then we recognize him in the small truths. That's why I always say, like, small truth, lower T, is 2 plus 2 is 4. Well, if we know 2 plus 2 is 4, that's not God, but that's God's signature. And the more we know about that, the more that we actually know something about God. And if we believe 2 plus 2 is 5, that is not the truth. That is not any way to recognize God. That is a lie. And when we start to believe lies, we really must be further and further away from the truth, capital T, Jesus Christ, in order to believe those lies. Now, this does not mean that the more faithful we are, the more intellectual we are, and we're never going to make bad decisions. All the, I, I certainly don't want to wholesale the idea of Christianity as some sort of magic wand. It's not supposed to be that. But each to our own natural faculties that God gave us, okay, we will perfect them the closer that we are to the truth, Jesus Christ. And that will not, uh, we, we will be much, much less um, open prey to bad ideas because of it. And you will see that in your life. Just go back and look at the craziness in the past several years and ask yourself, all of the people who really believe the craziness, what do they purport about Christ? And by the way, not just say, but act in ways that they believe. And that is a very, I've noticed that pattern so, so, so abundantly uh, and, and I'm not the only one. Listen, you don't need a, you, you don't need a very big grace of deduction to recognize it. Well, Dave, it's a great reminder that the truth is a person, and that person is our Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what uh, we're all about here uh, on Relevant Radio. Um, what about yet another one? And this one has to do with uh, peer pressure. Yeah, it's popularity. Um, and, and it's peer pressure in high school. It can happen. That's a bad idea. I shouldn't do it. Um, but also, you know, in the workplace, okay, this is really a bad idea. I know it's a bad idea, but I am worried that I'm not going to get promoted or liked. So I'm going to adopt this bad idea. And you might even adopt the bad idea, uh, while you, you know that it's intellectual dishonesty at first. You say, I don't actually believe this, but I'm going to perpetuate the bad idea until you actually believe it. You know, one of the classic motives of of, of manipulators is to tell a lie over and over again until somebody believes it. Well, 
listen, if that's true about an external lie coming into your mind and then it gets you to believe it because you've been, it's been repeated so much, then what happens when you internally tell yourself a lie? You're going to eventually believe it. Jody is uh, joining us this morning from Las Vegas, Nevada. Good morning, Jody. Uh, welcome to Morning Air. You're on with Dave Duran. Good morning. Hi, gentlemen. Good morning, Dave. I was uh, going to comment on the fact that I tend to stick with a bad idea that I initiate myself just based on sunk costs. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll really invest in something and, and, you know, I start doing it and then come to find out halfway through like, oh, wait, I could have made a better decision. This is sort of a bad idea. But now I've already invested all this time and all this money. So, you know, even though it's not helping and, and it's not even going to, you know, achieve the goal that, you know, I had in mind for it, it's like I just still stick to it. And I know that it's not doing any good, but it's just that I can't get over that sunk cost idea. Yeah, that self-awareness is really good, Jody, and a lot of people do that. In fact, there's a way that you can break free from that, and this is what I tell people. If you go to a movie, it doesn't matter that you spend $15 on the movie. If it's a really dumb movie and you don't like it and you're 25 minutes in, don't waste the other two hours of your life. And when people say, well, no, I'm just going to stick it out because I paid for it anyway, why? Um, th there's, there's certain things, too. Like, I don't believe in being wasteful with food at all. But if you are already now stuffed, okay, uh, and somebody's like, well, you should finish it because you paid for it or finish it. And this is, I understand the sentiment, but it really holds no practical value. Finish it because there are starving kids in other countries. Well, you now hurting your health and becoming obedient and a glutton doesn't actually help anyone with their circumstance. So we get these false ideas about doing certain things to complete things. And the whole idea that never give up, never give up. So you're wise to recognize it, but then what you just need to do is need to establish new patterns in order to break the habit. Appreciate the call, uh, Jody. Uh, uh, Dave, uh, real quick, that the, that last uh, trap that people uh, have in, in believing bad ideas. Yeah, the last reason that relatively smart people believe bad ideas is because they want to justify previously held false beliefs. And so they were proven wrong in another circumstance, but their pride won't allow them to let go of that. So if anything comes up that can justify their previously held false belief, they're going to believe it. They're going to buy it. They're going to sell it. The more they believe it, buy it and sell it, the deeper they believe it and the more it makes them go astray. And it's really that, that simple. So we have to free ourselves when we were wrong, be wrong. Most people would rather be right to their own demise than wrong to their own prosperity. And that's a problem. So embrace wrongness sometimes because it's the reason that the smartest people in the world have actually become right most often later in life. Dave, as always, uh, thanks so much for being with us. We'll have to leave it right there. I appreciate uh, uh, your contribution here this morning. Thanks, John. You can uh, follow uh, Dave Durand on YouTube and LinkedIn. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called Keep Your Fork. There was a young woman who had been diagnosed with a terminal illness and had been given three months to live. So as she was getting her things in order, she contacted her pastor and had him come to her house to discuss certain aspects of her final wishes. She told him which songs she wanted sung at the service, which scriptures she'd like read, and what outfit she wanted to be buried in. Everything was in order and the pastor was preparing to leave when the young woman suddenly remembered something very important to her. There's one more thing, she said excitedly. What's that? came the pastor's reply. 
This is very important, the young woman continued. I want to be buried with a fork in my right hand. The pastor stood looking at the young woman, not knowing quite what to say. That surprises you, doesn't it? The young woman asked. Well, to be honest, I am puzzled by the request, said the pastor. The young woman explained, My grandmother once told me this story, and from that time on I've always tried to pass along its message to those I love and those who are in need of encouragement. In all my years of attending socials and dinners, I always remember that when the dishes of the main course were being cleared, someone would inevitably lean over and say, Keep your fork. It was my favorite part because I knew that something better was coming, like velvety chocolate cake or deep-dish apple pie, something wonderful and with substance. So I just want people to see me there in that casket with a fork in my hand, and I want them to wonder, what's with the fork? Then I want you to tell them, keep your fork. The best is yet to come. The pastor's eyes welled up with tears of joy as he hugged the young woman goodbye. He knew this would be one of the last times he'd see her before her death. He also knew the young woman had a better grasp of heaven than he did. She had a better grasp of what heaven would be like than many people twice her age with twice as much experience and knowledge. She knew that something better was coming. At the funeral, people were walking by the young woman's casket and they saw the cloak she was wearing and the fork in her right hand. Repeatedly, the pastor heard the question, what's with the fork? Over and over, he smiled. During his message, the pastor told people of the conversation he had with the young woman shortly before she died. He also told them about the fork and what it symbolized to her. He told the people how he could not stop thinking about the fork and told them they probably would not be able to stop thinking about it either. And he was right. So next time you reach down for your fork, let it remind you ever so gently, the best is yet to come. And from John 14, 2 and 3, In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be with me.